Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. New York City may be the city that never sleeps, but that doesn't mean there isn't a dark side. This is Chapter 217 of WCBS Author Talks, I'm your host, Lisa T, and coming up, author Louisa Traeger introduces us to a woman who faked madness in order to expose the horrific conditions at a Big Apple asylum. Then we'll hear how an urban legend sent author Ellen Marie Weissman on a dark path of discovery. Nowadays, investigative journalism is commonplace. But back in the late 1800s, it didn't really exist, not until a female journalist named Nellie Bly came along. Her incredible story from a girl with little schooling to one of the most notable reporters in history is chronicled in the new novel Mad Woman. The title comes from one of Nellie's most famous stunts, faking mental illness to gain entry into the asylum on New York's Blackwell's Island. I got to speak with author Louisa Traeger. As an aspiring female journalist in New York City, I know who Nellie Bly is. But when and how did you stumble upon her incredible story? It all started with a question from a friend. Have you heard about Nellie Bly? She's the kind of woman you write about. And this friend knew that firstly, I was a diehard fan of trailblazing women. And secondly, on the hunt for a subject of a new book. And I went home and researched Nellie and I was instantly just so gripped by her story. I knew I had the muse for my next book. And, you know, you segue beautifully into my next question because I have written here that I know that you have an affinity uh, for writing about women who are ahead of their time. And Nellie is definitely one of those women who defy the definition of what her sex was supposed to be like in the late 1800s. Exactly. She was so far ahead of her time. She transcended her time and she actually changed the world. She was the most extraordinary person. We're kind of at an advantage here because you and I both know who she is. For for people who are listening who maybe haven't heard of her, give us a little snippet of her bio. So Nellie Bly was America's first female investigative journalist. And she overcame um, quite a traumatic childhood to become a journalist. But in her day, female journalists were only allowed to report on fashion, society gossip, you know, theatre and concert reviews. And she was determined to make it as a serious reporter, you know, writing hard news. So in order to get taken seriously by the male editors, she proposed something incredibly daring and extreme. She would fake madness and get herself committed to the notorious lunatic asylum on Blackwell's Island off the coast of New York. And when she came out, she she would expose the terrible conditions. 
And she went on to do many other incredible things with her life, like going around the world in less time than Jules Verne's protagonist, Phileas Fogg, in 80 Days Around the World. Um, but my novel really centers on the t- her time in the asylum. The asylum story itself, I think in fiction, would be hard to believe. But the fact that all those details are true, it's just, it's shocking. And, and the way that women were treated, but not only that, how easy it was to have a woman committed. Exactly. Conditions in asylum were harsh beyond belief. Um, you know, that the nurses were incredibly cruel to the patients, sadistic, really. And, you know, the patients were starving. The food was insufficient and scarcely edible. Um, they didn't have enough clothing and it was, you know, freezing cold. They were given cold baths. So conditions were really awful. But what surprised and shocked me most in my research was that a lot of the so-called mad women were not mentally ill at all. Um, They might, you know, not be able to get over post-traumatic depression or perhaps their husband simply got tired of them or they didn't want to get married. You know, the asylum was a socially acceptable way of disposing with inconvenient women. Even to this day, I'm sitting here, I'm shaking my head because it's just so incredibly hard to believe that that's all it took. It was one man's word who then convinced the judge, who then convinced and or convinced the yes. doctor, who convinced the judge yes. to get her committed. Yes, I, I think you just had to have one GP's letter and then you could commit your, you know, troublesome female relative. But another really shocking thing is this is still going on. It went on in the recent past. Look at Rose Kennedy, who was lobotomized. And it's still going on now. Look at Britney Spears and the 13-year order on her. That's what I find so appalling. You know, it just goes on and on. As much change as Nellie Bly was able to have accomplished after her series of articles came out, it's it's not as bad. You're not getting uh, moldy bread and, and, you know, being beaten by nurses, or at least you hope, but there's still this this void where women fall through the cracks. Exactly, exactly. And that's that's just happened all through history. In some way, things have changed. And in other ways, they haven't changed at all. So for your research, did you rely on Nellie's own articles and account of her experience for that part of your book? And, and how much, you know, is a historical fictional account and how much is like how much is true and how much is is author's liberty? So those are great questions. A really important part of my research was visiting Blackwell's Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. And um, because I felt that like Nellie before me, I had to set foot on the island to understand its story. And I soaked up a lot of the atmosphere. I saw, you know, there's only an octagonal tower left of the asylum, but you could you know, stand on the site and just see how tantalizingly close Manhattan was and how gut-wrenching it must have been for the women to be so close yet so far from freedom. Um, and I I went to the Library of Congress and the New York Public Library and they opened their collections to me and there's a wealth of exciting material, everything that Nellie Bly wrote and everything that's been written about her. 
Um, and to answer your question about fact versus fiction, my novel broadly follows the biographical facts of her life. Um, and where I've taken fictional license is to dig deeper into her emotional life. So one theme I wanted to bring out is that her actual articles about her time in the asylum are written in this persona of plucky girl reporter whom nothing could phase. And this was obviously what she wanted to convey as an author. But um, I thought surely the asylum must have affected her deeply. You know, she was submerged in this experience, witnessing the most terrible brutality daily. And she didn't know for sure when or if she would get out. Uh, you know, I thought this must have affected her physically and mentally. And that that's one of the themes that my book explores. And I did note, only because I know a little bit about Nellie, you subtly hint at what one of her other big investigative pieces about city life was and, and brought about some changes, which is uh, the tenement situation. Yes, exactly, exactly, which was, you know, appalling. Um, and actually it got Nellie into trouble because landlords got very angry and threatened to um, withdraw advertising from the paper. But, you know, Nellie had this kind of fearless honesty and this real affinity for the marginalised, which I think came from her own difficult um, childhood. And so she kind of plunged into these situations and, and try to rectify things at one point in your story she ruminates on the frantic nature of news and the craziness of having to come up with new ideas all the time yes. and yes. i'd imagine authors kind of feel the same way sometimes <laughs> well i tell you that all the deadlines we do but the deadlines aren't quite so brutal for um authors as they are for journalists <laughs> and but she also notes that there's always another story to be found. Yes, and and that is just as true for authors. <laughs> <laughs> so have you found your next subject? I have. I am currently writing about Dora Maar, who was Picasso's lover and muse, and she was known as his weeping woman as though tears were the only interesting thing about her, when in fact she was a really talented and passionate and brilliant photographer. So, you know, I, I think it's time that the world finds out what she was really like. I don't know if I said this to you the last time we spoke with your other book, The Dragon Lady, but I love that you keep finding these women who have been in the shadows for so many years and and bring them to light and bring them to our attention and and let us know that they existed and they were more than just... In that example, you know, the woman who cried, you know? Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. It's become my mission. There are so many of these brilliant women. And that's the sad story, right? That you are never yes. going to run out of subjects. Yes. Well, maybe one day you will. Maybe the author who follows in your footsteps won't have anything left to do because mm. you've, you've tackled them all. <laughs> I like that thought. Thank you. We've been speaking with Louisa Traeger. The new book is Mad Woman. Thank you so much for your time today, Louisa. Oh, thank you for having me, Lisa. It was a total pleasure. It's been 35 years since the infamous Willowbrook State School on Staten Island was closed. Like the aforementioned Blackwell's Island, 
This school was supposed to be a place where people, in this case children, were sent to be treated and looked after. But much like their contemporaries in the 1800s, the kids of Willowbrook were badly mistreated and neglected. It's the setting for The Lost Girls of Willowbrook, the new novel from author Ellen Marie Wiseman, which blends fact, fiction, and urban legend. A missing girl, mistaken identity, an awful medical institution, a serial killer on the loose. This all seems like the perfect setup for a horror story rather than this historical fiction novel that you've written. Tell us a little bit more about it. I know it does kind of sound like a horror story, and that's probably because the first time I was drawn to Willowbrook State School on Staten Island was when I watched a 2009 documentary about um, Cropsey, who was a supposed serial killer who lived beneath Willowbrook. And so that kind of got my wheels turning a little bit. And I had never heard of Willowbrook State School. And when I looked it up and I realized that that was the state school that Geraldo Rivera had done an expose on in the early 70s um, to expose the terrible conditions there. So um, I really wanted to find a way to write from someone that didn't belong in the institution so that I could, you know, I, I thought it would be better than having someone on the outside looking in trying to help. Um, so that's how I came up with the idea of the twin sister who believes her twin has died and um, finds out she was really at Willowbrook, but she's missing. And so she goes to Willowbrook to search for her. I think there's a lot of people out there who probably one of their worst fears is having nobody believe them when they try to tell them something. Right. And you really tap into that in this book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's and and that's why I had to make them identical twins, because the doctors and everybody, um, you know, really needed to believe that she was her missing twin. And she just kind of came back because, in fact, at Willowbrook, kids did go missing. And um, I just actually talked to someone the other day about um, that worked with some of the Willowbrook class who were the patients that were moved during the closing of Willowbrook. And she said some of the records, it was just like, they didn't even have names. They had like girl number six and boy number four and things like that. So yeah, after um, Geraldo Rivera did the expose, Willowbrook closed, but it still took 15 more years for it to be emptied out. It's crazy because uh, the other author I interviewed for this particular chapter of the podcast wrote a book about Blackwell's Island, which, oh. you know, it was a deplorable women's institute in the late 1800s. And mm -hmm. it was really hard to read your story knowing that a place like Willowbrook was allowed to exist nearly 100 years later. I know. It's crazy. Um, you know, it's I was alive in, in the 70s. I, I'm not going to tell you how old I was, but, you know, and it's like, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, but for it to be considered historical fiction when I write about Willowbrook State School is kind of crazy. And, you know, it's really, really sad that those kinds of places were allowed to exist um, even after we knew better. It was underfunded and it was over, you know, overcrowded and it was a state-run institution. So, um, you know, it was a 375 acre campus that pretty much became like its own underground city and develop its own hierarchy and society. And, you know, the the nurses didn't trust the staff and the staff didn't trust the nurses. And they were so short staffed that they would hire anyone without any background checks. And it really just became this place where 
you know, even the, the employees could buy and sell everything from drugs to jewelry to meat. Um, it was it's just bizarre. <laughs> what were your resources in, in researching the details of the school and what happened behind its doors? Um, my main research book, I had bought several before. One was called Snake Pit. and But my main one was written by one of the co-authored by one of the uh, um, doctors who used to work there. He got <clears throat> fired for trying to change conditions. Um, so the, the book that I really poured over is um, called The History and Sociology of Willowbrook State School. And um, it was fascinating reading, but it was also really heartbreaking. But I really wanted to understand how this place came to be because I had written about an asylum in the 1920s called Willard State, but like a mental asylum and Willard State School, which was basically, it wasn't a school of any kind. It was basically a warehouse for children with mental and physical disabilities. I knew there was a difference, you know, and I wanted to make sure that I got that right. And so I really learned a lot from that book and especially how the corrupt situation came to be. It's crazy to hear you say that this doctor was fired because he tried to make a difference and try to get the conditions changed because the conditions are horrific between unwashed clothes, baths maybe once a week, lying in their own filth and being medicated, you know, beyond the point of medication. Yeah. And there was, there was several doctors who did that. There was Dr. Mike Wilkins, who was the one who he was friends with Geraldo Rivera when Geraldo Rivera was just starting out. And he, he also got fired, but he still had the keys. So he met with Geraldo Rivera at a small Staten Island diner and he gave him the key to get into house number six. And that's how Geraldo Rivera took the, the film crew in there. And after his, you know, he kind of broke in unannounced, And so they made sure that they broadcast his expose that night because he was afraid that, you know, the administration would like shut him down because he went in there unannounced. And, um, you know, it was after people saw it on the news, um, you know, it was a public outcry, but it still took a while to close. For people who don't know what what became of Willowbrook, what what is that campus now? It's the College of Staten Island. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, there must be some ghosts moving around in that place, considering yeah. what happened. Yeah. Um, I actually had talked to someone who worked there, like putting electricity and stuff in, and they said a lot of the older buildings are there. And this actually is the 50th anniversary this year of Geraldo Rivera's expose and the 35th anniversary of Willowbrook closing. So they're um, September 17th, they're dedicating the Willowbrook Mile on the college of Staten Island as a memorial type thing. I, I, I did want to say something about the, the doctor that co-authored, co-authored the book that I uh, research, used for research. He was fired for asking for things as simple as painkillers and sheets and soap. And so that's how terrible it was, we, be, was. And he also, you know, was really instrumental in getting the parents involved because the parents were not involved are not allowed to go into the wards. So they couldn't see firsthand how terrible it was. The kids were, their kids were brought out to visit them. Um, And, you know, it's just unbelievable that someone would get fired for, for trying to change the situation. And the way you've written the story, we have a little bit of a murder mystery going on. And I guess that's where 
where Cropsey comes into. Exactly. And I'm a native New Yorker. I've never heard of this urban legend. Really? Which have not. And maybe that's because I'm not from Staten Island. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. So tell me how that part of the story came about. Well, you know, in, in the beginning of the book, uh, as you know, the main character, Sage, she has just found out that her sister is missing. And her friends are like, they all know about the urban legend of Cropsey. And so they're kind of saying, you know, why would you go there and look for your sister? You know, aren't you worried? And maybe Cropsey took your sister and things like that. So that just kind of worked itself into the story in that way. Um, But they do say that the uh, urban legend of Cropsey kind of came true because there was a, a former ward attendant who was arrested and convicted of um, kidnapping children. And one of his, his victims was found on Willowbrook state grounds. So that gave me a lot to work with as far as I, you know, I want, I wanted to tell the story of how horrible Willowbrook was, but I also, you know, as a novelist, I want to entertain people and I want to keep them reading and keeping them turning the pages. So I just kind of put those things together and, you know, hopefully made it a good read. You've written about institutional abuse in other novels of yours. Yes. Why do you feel so strongly about writing about these types of stories in fiction as opposed to just doing a nonfiction book? I was not a big history nerd in school, but I love reading about, you know, fictional characters in these really important, um, extraordinary circumstances in our history. Um, You know, and that's what I try to do. I always try to put uh, ordinary person in these extraordinary circumstances. And I just think that it's really important, especially I like to uncover things that we were not taught about in school um, because history has kind of been rewritten in a lot of instances. Um, so I, I'm, I think it's people like to be able to feel what it would be like to be there. And that, I think that's the only way you can do that is through fiction. And I'm just really, um, fascinated but like by the the resiliency of the human spirit and I think it's important for us to know about our past and know what these people that really experienced this went through and survived. What do you want readers to take away from this specific story? Even though Willowbrook closed there was many institutions around the country that, that were the same and um, even though it's closed the fight for disability rights is still ongoing And I think it's just an important reminder that we need to be more protective of the most vulnerable among us. And, you know, that every human being has the right to learn and grow and be treated with kindness and compassion. We've been talking with Ellen Marie Wiseman. The new book is The Lost Girls of Willowbrook. Thank you so much for your time today, Ellen. Well, thank you for having me. that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time, we find out that age ain't nothing but a number when it comes to female assassins. In the meantime, we're killing it on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880Books. See what I did there? And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Lisa Chernkovich.